the Bavada at Odds podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Sports MLB Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 146 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. And Bryce, this is probably the first time in since the start of the lockout, I would say, that we actually have a fair amount of baseball news to cover this week. Most of it, granted, is people deciding, uh, maybe because of the lockout, that they don't want to deal with the sport anymore, and we had three guys retire. But it's news nonetheless. It's something to talk about rather than random list on MLB.com. And for those of you who like the random list, I like the random list. Don't worry, I got four lined up ready to go next week when we talk about the Hall of Fame class. Can we do one random list this week? I have one at the end. Okay. We're not totally... And look, and I, Chase, I'm totally... Who are... There was one huge retirement. Or I wouldn't say huge. I'd say almost huge. Let's just jump right into it then. Uh, John Lester retired. And I was going to save this for the end, but we'll start with it right at the beginning. What do you think the BovadaSportsBook.com odds are that when all is said and done and he spends 10 years on the ballot, that John Lester gets inducted into the baseball fame? Bear in mind, he won't appear on the ballot until... 2027, 20, which means you could be on the ballot until 2037. And we all know how much this... 2036. 2036. So we all, and we all know how much statistics and even a player's candidacy because of statistics, statistics can change within a 10-year span, i.e. Edgar Martinez, Tim Raines, Larry Walker, etc. Plus 220. Plus 220. I like that where, you know, he's not... I don't lot. think he's getting it. I, I think a lot needs to break – not a lot needs to break right for him, but – I also – he kind of strikes me – he's 38. He strikes me as the kind of guy who might take a year off and then return to maybe Boston. So it's funny you say that because I think the most apples-to-apples apples comparison for Lester is Andy Pettit. Yeah, that's why. Who that, did the same thing. Um, I think a guy like Jack Morris getting into the Hall of Fame helps Lester a lot. I mean, look, Lester's regular season numbers – Good, not, you know, out of this world. Um, finished with exactly 200 wins, which, again, we're entering into an era now where 200 wins may become the new 300 wins. I don't know if that transformation... That makes me so... I, like, I get it. That bothers me. I don't know if that transformation will be fully completed by the time Lester that is on the ballot. 200 wins... I think 250 should be the new 300. I think 300 should be 300. It's 300 wins. I, I'm with you. It's it, a great round wins number. Wins are... Look, you can say kill the win all you want, but when you look at a baseball pitcher's career, what's the most important thing? In any first, ignore baseball. In any sport, what's the most important thing? You gotta win the game. You gotta win the There's game. It's two things. And when I win, 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 and the best ability is availability. Lester was good at availability. I feel. I feel like he was very durable. I think the only time he missed games was he beat cancer. But that's, and even then, he was a rookie. But that's not the point. Boys, wins should matter because when you think about a pitcher, I want to roll. I don't want to roll a pitcher out there 
that's going to pitch six quality innings and get a no decision. I'd rather have a pitcher that's going to go give me everything he has for eight innings and give me the best shot to win the game. Well, I think in a roundabout way, what you just said, to me, even supports Lester as a Hall of Famer more but, because he took the ball every year. I mean, his postseason numbers, he's 11-2 and two with a 2-5-1 ERA. And this statistics I'm about to say is a little bit skewed because the Whitey Fords of the world, Kofaxes in the 50s and 60s, you just went to the World Series. But the guy who has made the most Game 1 starts in postseason history, and that includes wild card games, uh, which may be even bigger than Game 1 starts because it's winner going Yeah, home. but he fucked up his one wild card game. Sure, but overall, though, most Game 1 starts postseason history, and overall, 11-2 and two with a 2-5 ERA, that's, that's pretty good. Lester had a phenomenal career, but he spent the bulk of it in the AL East on the Boston Red Sox, our arch rivals, and I never felt... He never passed the Hall of Fame gut test. He never felt like a Hall of Famer to me. His thing is, he was the ace of those Red Sox teams. I guess Beckett was there. He was more afraid of Beckett. His candidacy to me, it's going to be very similar to what we're seeing now with Scott Rowland. Where when we watched him, we were like, this is a good player, all-star player. We would love to have him on the team. But you never watched and said, oh, Scott Rowland's Hall of Famer. But I think the more we dive into it and look at the case and look at the era and compare him to his peers... The more I think that is going to help Lester, I want to break down. I would vote for Beckett before I vote for Lester. I would vote for Lester before Beckett, and I would honestly vote for Lester before Burley. And Burley's been getting a lot of support. The Burley thing is, I'm gonna I'm gonna curse again. I've been very vulgar lately. I've been letting f bombs fly in 2022. New year, new you. I I, I don't fucking get this Burley love. Like he, if, I, I think it. it goes back to what you just said, honestly. Burley is a guy who every year took the ball, 30 starts, 200 innings, lefty, was always good, not great, one over. But again, a couple Do you know th- what I like about Burley? Multiple gold gloves, multiple all-star, perfect game, no hitter, ring. Perfect good guy. Perfect game for Burley. That's a Hall of Fame moment. And he was the ace of the 05. I mean, the Dwayne Wise catch is maybe... It might be the greatest catch given the circumstances ever. <laughs> it's up there. I don't have a list of greatest catches. I like Andy Chavez. Who's the guy from American Idol, Dwayne? Oh, Lee DeWise. Lee DeWise. I like Lee DeWise. You think Lee DeWise knows Dwayne Wise? Because their names sound kind of similar if you did some dyslexic reading there. Lee DeWise. One of his songs is in my top 10 most listened to in 2022. Oil and Water. He's really... Lee Lee DeWise. um, Chase and I are big Leonard Skinner fans. Uh, Lee DeWise's version of Simple Man that he did on American Idol was fucking incredible. Speaking of American Idol, before we go back to Lester, you see he's running for Congress again? Yeah, Clay Aiken. Clay Aiken. I don't know much Clay Aiken, but I listened to Invisible yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it's a solid tune. And and for my money, uh, look, early American Idol, uh, for anyone who didn't watch it, I mean, obviously Carrie Underwood, Jennifer Hudson, uh, Kelly... Clarkson. I mean, we're talking about global superstars. Jennifer Hudson won an Oscar. Uh, Chase, I like your support for female artists, but I'm going to throw some male artists out well, there. Well, no, I mean, like Daughtry. I know we love Taylor Hicks, but I'm not going to put Taylor Hicks in there. But I want, That's all I wanted. David Cook. You know, guys who Dude, sold I was a ton of records. Today. Archuleta was good. Philip Phillips. Um, Scotty McCreary. Stefano. A lot of great singers. But for my money, the two best performances I've ever heard on Idol... Um, where Daughtry walked the line. Daughtry's great. Walked the line in Billie Jean and Clay Aiken singing Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. I'm a big American Idol person. I thought what would be a very fun Super Bowl halftime show would be just all the American Idol 
his greatest hits. What do you think the Bavada odds are that John Lester is a Clay Aiken fan? Um, and would that help or hurt his whole thing candidacy? <laughs> well, I think if I mean I don't what I don't what I would imagine Clay Aiken is a Democrat. Yeah, I think that's I, pretty I, safe I, to say. I would assume he's a Democrat, and I don't think it would impact John Lester's Hall of Fame candidacy at all. All right, last thing about his Hall of Fame candidacy, then we're going to recap Lester's career. If you want to hear a great John Lester interview, um, the Section 10 podcast, uh, Jared Carabas's Fenway Red Sox-only podcast for Barstool Sports. They had Lester on the day after he retired. And they asked him a question that I thought was very interesting. Um, you know what? I'm going to save this for the end, actually, because it goes... Oh, what? Well, you can't do that. All right, well, the thing with Lester is there are very few guys that you could say are icons for two teams. Lester's going to be a Red Sox Hall of Famer. Pitched nine years there, the no-hitter, yeah. multiple All-Stars. But at the same time, as great as he was with the Red Sox, the, when I think of the Cubs breaking the curse, you had Brian and Rizzo coming up through the ranks, obviously, but Lester signs that deal going into 2015. They win 95 games, make it to the NLCS, win the World Series the next year. Lester finishes second in the Cy Young voting in 2016. Who would he go in as into Cooperstown? A Red Sox? Or a cup. No hat. It's not his choice, ultimately. But yeah, it is. He can say no hat. No, Matt, they, don't, they don't let them choose. You can give Maddox him, has no hat. You could give a recommendation, but the Hall of Fame ultimately chooses thanks to Wade Boggs going as a fucking devil. I right? think he'd recommend... No hat. No hat, and it would be granted no hat. His answer, for what it's worth, was a split hat down the middle, like the split jerseys that moms wear when their kids are playing each other in sports. That's even... Uh, that's a worse cop-out than mine. What about the A's? I don't think it'll be the A's. Or the Cardinals. Definitely don't think. You know what? I think it would be the Cardinals before it would be the Nationals. Oh, my God. He was on the Nats, too. So after 16 years, Lester said, it's kind of run its course uh, regarding his career. It's getting harder for me physically. The little things that come out throughout the year turn into bigger things that hinder your performance. I'd like to think I'm a halfway decent self-evaluator. I don't want someone else telling me I can't do this anymore. I want to be able to hand my jersey over and say, thank you. It's been fun. That's probably the deciding factor for me. Lester was drafted in the second round out of a Washington high school in 2002. Was a very promising pitching prospect in the Red Sox system. Made his debut at the age of 20, 20 at the age of 22 uh, in June 2006. But again, that year uh, he was diagnosed with anaplastic large cell lymphoma late in his rookie season. Cut his rookie year short, and he required chemo. But he beat the disease. Came back to the mound in 2007. He made 12 regular season appearances that year. Pitched three playoff games during the Red Sox's run to a championship. Uh, he made his first postseason start in Game Four of the World Series against the Rockies. Tossed five and two thirds of scoreless ball, uh, and he got the win in the title clinching game as the Red Sox uh, wrapped up a sweep, which in itself is incredible. Like imagine you twirl five and two third, five and two thirds shutout innings in your first postseason starts in the World Series, and you get the win for your team to clinch. Sick. 2008, he was absolutely solidified as a key member of Terry Francona's staff. Uh, he made 31 starts over each of his next six seasons in baseball. Uh, 2009 and 2010, he had very strong strikeout numbers, uh, and he never had an ERA uh, higher than 375 and went as low as 321 from 2008 to 13. Very consistent would be my takeaway. Very consistent. May 2008, he tossed his no-hitter. He was an all-star 2010 and 11, finished fourth in the AL Cy Young voting during the 2010 season in which he tossed 208 innings of 3.25 ERA ball. Uh, and then again, in the Red Sox run of the championship in 2013, 34 and two-thirds postseason innings that year. Uh, he had a 1.55 ERA, including 15 and a third frames of one run ball to earn two wins as part of a okay. World Series triumph over the Cardinals. Uh, back to the Hall of Fame candidacy and why he never felt like a Hall of Famer to me. Because that very solid, consistent ERA 
that's really good. But an ERA, but if your ERA is ranging three two to three seven, that's just not a hall. Of, that there's no peak there. That 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 didn't hall of fame it to me. Yeah, he finished at three six six, and his career ERA plus was one seventeen. So solid, not great. For what it's worth, and again, it's not an apples to apples comparison. But Cole Hamels, as I think, is like a a guy you got to compare to Lester in terms of the era they played in both lefties too. Lester's WAR is forty four point two. Hamels is around sixty. Those numbers are kind of made up to me. Hamels has more strikeouts, lower ERA, and I think as many wins. How about that? That better? Way better. Um, so ticketed for free. He also said, uh, and it's funny, you mentioned Josh Beckett. He said in that interview, you know, look, when I came up, Terry pretty much just said, follow Josh Beckett, do everything he did, does. And then, um, yeah, I mean, he was even pretty aware, I think, Lester, that, you know, he came up and he was the third or fourth guy between Beckett, Schilling, Dice K even. Buckles. And Buckholtz, and then you know, 2013 was when it really became him. Uh, ticketed for free agency after the 2014 season, he tossed 143 innings with a 5, 2.52 ERA for the Red Sox, earning his third career All Star nod in the process. Yet, was he hurt in 24? Oh, I forgot. Yet with free agency looming and the Red Sox on their way to a last place finish, they traded him to the A's at the deadline. Uh, Lester continued to excel for the final few months in Oakland. Uh, he got shelled in the wild card game, um, but again, that Royals team kind of went on a run of destiny that year. So. I don't give him too much crap there. Um, and then he was ranked as the number two free agent that offseason by MLB Trade Rumors. Signed a six-year, $155 million deal with the Cubs. Uh, and again, Theo got him. The Cubs were coming out of a huge rebuild. And Lester said in that interview, you know, coming into free agency, the Red Sox were going to be the favorite. If you were taking the Bavada odds there, they would have been minus 200 somewhere in that realm because he wanted to come back to Boston. He gave them the first choice. Um, but he said ultimately what led him to the Cubs is you want to feel wanted as a player. Uh, and I think he knew with the Cubs he wouldn't be just another guy. He was going to be someone special there. Uh, and then his first season, 205 innings, 3-3-4 ERA, helped Chicago in the NLCS. 2016, 2-4-4 ERA across 202 and two-thirds uh, frames. Finished second in the Cy Young voting, earned his fourth All-Star nod, and was arguably the top pitcher on a 103-win team. Uh, and then again, he shined in the playoffs yet again. NLCS MVP after tossing 13 innings of two-run ball to knock off the Dodgers. Made three outings with a 3-6-8 ERA during the World Series. Cubs and the 108-year drought. Uh, and then again, Lester won three rings. 2018, he paced the NL with 18 wins, earning another All-Star nod in the progress. Uh, and again, like you said, consistency was Lester's thing. He took the ball every fifth day to the expiration of his contract after 2020. This past year, he signed with the Nationals on a one-year deal. Uh, he had a 4-3-6 ERA over 12 starts. Uh after getting traded from the Nationals to the Cubs. A lot of stability there. I think he even made a postseason start. And all told, 2,740 innings. Uh, struck out just under 2,500 batters, 200 wins, 366 ERA, three rings, five-time All-Star. Uh, and he made $188 million, which is not bad. I think you'd kind of be remiss if you talk about John Lester and fail to mention he had the worst pickoff move ever. Two points there. Because I want to talk about that and another thing that he owned. Um, from ESPN Stats and Info, he is one of just 11 pitchers in MLB history with the following resume. 200 career wins, no hitter, winning pitcher in a World Series uh, clincher, and nine of the other 10 pitchers to do so are enshrined in Cooperstown, all but Lou Boudreau. Uh, he said... Lou Burdett. Boudreau is how you pronounce it. Are you sure? No, Burdett, you're right. Lou, Lou Boudreau is someone else. Shortstop. Um... Lester said, in regards to the pickoff move, he was just like, look, I knew I couldn't do it, so why bother? But he actually said when David Ross became his personal catcher, they used it to his advantage because guys would take such big leads. 
that they would just snap throw to first and get guys out. So they did use it to their advantage. And another thing I give him a lot of credit that he owned up to, Lester was as big a part of anybody on that 2011 Red oh, Sox chicken fried chicken team? team. And he said, like, he owned it, he apologized, and, um, you know. He cost Francona his job. Yeah. And then they got Bobby V and came in last place. Would Francona still be managing the Red Sox had it not been for the chicken beer thing? I, or I think he was ready for a break. I mean, yeah, it's 10 years ago at this point, so I still think he – it's just so rare for t- managers, even as successful as Terry, to stick with one team for 20 years. But I think he would have stayed for a couple more years. But again, Charrington – I think the other thing is, too, is when Theo left – or when um, when Terry left, Theo was gone. And you see it all the time in sports. Charrington came in. I think he, regardless, would have wanted to bring in uh, his own guy at one point. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Probably. But John Lester, congratulations on, we'll say, a Hall of Fame caliber career. Uh, and he'll be a guy who I, I don't know if he'll get in, but I do think we can both agree he'll stick around on the ballot for a while. I think. Um, and always had that sideways hat. He's, he was like the white Fernando Rodney. Bovada would definitely have him at minus odds to make it all 10 years. I'd give him that much. He'll be on for all 10. 100%. And I think he's a guy who, even if he doesn't get in, will compare favorably on whatever veteran. I, that's what I'm going Yeah, I feel like he is because he's a baseball guy. He's a baseball guy, competitor. Really had no controversy outside the fried chicken thing, which like whatever it is, what it is, um, and was a winner. And they like to reward winners. Who we should reward winners? We do like to reward winners. So John Lester was a competitor against the Yankees throughout the years. Uh, and a former Yankee and longtime Major League outfielder also retired this week. Uh, and that was Melky Cabrera. Uh, he last I appeared, love Melky Cabrera. Last appeared in the majors in 2019, but he played winter ball in each of the past two years. Uh, Melky broke into the majors with the Yankees halfway through the 2005 season, getting the majors a bit before his 21st birthday. Switch hitter emerged as a regular in the Bronx the following year, playing with the Yankees through our World Series campaign in 2009. Uh, he was traded to the Braves the following offseason, famously because they thought he was a bad example for Cano. Uh, in hindsight, they were probably just both taking roids together. Uh, the Dominican Republic native struggled in Atlanta and was released after one year. Bounced back after hooking up with the Royals the following season, though, and after a solid year in Kansas City, he was traded to the Giants before the 2012 season. Uh, he only spent one year in the Bay Area, but he proved to be the most productive of his career. He had 346, 390, 516 across 501 plate appearances. Was All-Star Game MVP, his only All-Star Game appearances. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he is a large part of... I mean, look, the rule of having the All-Star Game winner host the World Series, that was probably a stupid rule to begin with. That's it. Did you like that rule? I thought I liked it. Put a little incentive in the game. Didn't make a ton of sense. But Melky winning MVP and then getting popped for Roy's a few days later was probably a red flag that that shouldn't be in place anymore. So that band carried over into 2013 where he landed with the Blue Jays. Also did not get a ring because of that. After signing a two-year deal over the winter, he struggled, struggled in the first season of that deal but bounced back with a very productive 2014. He was a high-contact, capable bat for the good chunk of his 30s, suiting up with the White Sox, Royals, Indians, and Pirates. Uh, his run of productivity came to a close in 2019. He had 280 that year, but a WRC Plus was 84, which is 16 percentage points before the league average. He had a 4.3% walk rate. Uh, he was with the Mets in 2020 summer camp, but was cut loose at the start of the season. All told, though, 15 years in the bigs, 05 to 19, eight uniforms, uh, and he had 285, 334, 417 overall slash line. And had a great arm. 144 home runs, 383 doubles, 101 steals, 
854 RBIs, 21 career war on baseball reference, and made a little bit more over than $72 million in his career. Great arm. And, and Melky is a I, guy, he, he you talk about having fun, always looked like he was I having fun I don't think he there. was a great fielder, but he would do the very exciting. He has a lot of highlight plays on defense. Look, and Melky was a big part of that 09 team. When we won the World Series, he played in 154 games. I mean, again, not spectacular, but for the guy who was the nine hitter on that team, 13 homers, 68 ribbies, hit 274, 336 on base, only struck out 59 times. Like, he was solid. He was I, the milkman. The milkman delivers. I love the milkman. I always enjoyed watching He Melky will not be well. making the Hall of Fame. He'll appear on the ballot. I he think. will fall off in one year. And probably receive zero votes. It's interesting, though, that Melky, you know, PEDs or whatever, but Melky almost had 2,000 hits in his career. He just doesn't. He came up so young. Yeah, he just doesn't feel like a guy who had 2,000 hits for whatever that's worth. If if he made that Mets team in 2020, he probably gets there. Um, Oh, yeah, if he makes the Mets team, 100%. He'll get the 2,000 hits there. He, I don't, will not, he will not be coming out of retirement. No. Uh, and a third and final guy retired this week. And if you were to do the Sporkle game of Rookies of the Year throughout the two... Oh, he wasn't even Rookie of the Year. All right, I'm going to retool this comment. Rookies who made the All-Star team in the 2000s, which there were not a ton, I would say there are very high Bavada odds that this guy would be missed by most. Uh, Francisco Liriano announces retirement. You could get it if they give you the clue. If they gave you the twins, yes, I agree. Um, But Liriano announces retirement. He debuted in 2005 with the Twins as a 21-year-old and last towed the rubber with the Pirates in 2019. All in all, 14 big league seasons with the Twins, Blue Jays, White Sox, Tigers, Astros, and Pirates. Originally was signed with the Giants, or signed by the Giants as an amateur free agent out of the DR on September 9, 2000. Spent his first three professional minor seasons in the Giants minor league system uh, and was traded with Booth Bonzer and Joe Nate in exchange for AJ Brzezinski. Quick aside, what a trade for the Twins! It's a great trade. Trade away an all-time jackass for a closer who a closer who was your he was in top a, he was a top five closer for a decade. Six-time All Star. Depending on how closers in the Hall of Fame are looked at, may sniff it down the road. Uh, he won't he, sniff it, but he, I liked him. Came up with the Twins and immediately became a star. Uh, 2006, his rookie year, he burst onto the scene for a 96 win club team uh, or 96 win twin team. Uh, 22-year-old threw 121 innings with a 216 ERA, made the All-Star team his only career appearance. Uh, but then again, he underwent Tommy John surgery in early November, knocking him out the entirety of 2007. 2008 made 14 starts, 391 ERA over 76 innings. But ultimately, the electricity was gone from his game as his strikeout rate plummeted from 30.4% in 2006 uh, all the way to 20.4% uh, in his return season. Uh, but he did win Comeback Player of the Year that year. Uh, he won it twice all told. Or, sorry, he won Comeback Player of the Year twice. So this is why Liriano, just a fascinating career. That's an, a more interesting sport because multiple Comeback Player of the Year award winners across sports. I can't think of any. He may be the only one that comes to mind. We'll do some research on that after. Uh, the first time came in 2010 when he rebounded from a difficult 2009 season to start 130 to start 31 games, tossed 191 two thirds innings with a 3.62 ERA, struck out 200 batters, and helped the Twins to 94 wins in a division title. He was traded from the Twins to the White Sox in 2012, and then that offseason signed a deal with the Pirates, where that year he made 26 starts in his first season with the team, 3.02 ERA, 161 innings, won a second comeback player of the year award, which is amazing. He won it twice in a four-year stretch. Which means he missed two of five seasons. I mean, I have his numbers up. 
2009, he just didn't really – or 2009, he was just bad. He had a 580 RA. I, I don't think – that's fucked. You should not win me the injuries. Well, that's how he won both times. And then 2013, he went from a 534 to a 302 ERA. Uh, but Liriano was probably most famous because he helped the Pirates win 94 games and end their 20-season playoff draft. And he was on the mound in the Johnny Cueto game that we talked to Ryan Handigan about. Seven innings of one-run ball en route to a, three, a 6-2 win for the Pirates. Uh, the win might be the single greatest moment in the last 30 years of Pirate baseball. And despite the fact that they had Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole. Liriano was the ace of the staff and pitched like it in the postseason. Uh, all told in five seasons with the Pirates, 365 ERA, 693 and two-thirds innings. 2016 season, he began a transition into a relief pitcher. He gets traded to the Blue Jays, then went from the Blue Jays to the Astros in 2017. Uh, he was a good situational lefty for a team that uh, won the World Series, recording a valuable out in Game 6 and 7 of the World Series by retiring Cody Bellinger at both uh, in both instances, uh, and all told throughout his career, 300 starts, 419 appearances, 1,813 two-thirds innings, 415 career ERA, all-star World Series winner, tossed a no-hitter, uh, and two-time comeback player of the year. Francisco Liriano is not a guy who I think is going to be remembered by most, but I, the definition of solid and interesting career, I would say. Yeah, I, I guess interesting is the word for it. Up and down. He kind of checks off all the boxes of what you want to do in a career, but his lows were just so low. And the highs weren't that high. But he's a guy, he will never have to buy a meal in Pittsburgh ever again. I mean, he shouldn't have to buy one in Houston either. If you're part of a World Series team, you should just be given free meals. You think he's going to Pittsburgh or Houston more, given he's from the Dominican Republic? I don't know what that has to do with anything. I'd say Houston because he has the ring. I think it just is more, I would say... Climate-wise? I'm going to just say Houston and Pittsburgh. I would say neither is too similar to the Dominican Republic. That's why I ask. I mean, the Dominican Republic's... Houston's hot. Houston's got a hot climate, I would say. And if you go in the winter, it's okay. If you go to the Pittsburgh winters, it sucks. Pittsburgh actually, year after year, ranks as the most livable of all U.S. major cities. Yeah. So maybe he's likely to settle down in Pittsburgh, but, but you never know. To Houston? But you never know when Bain's going to try to blow up the football stadium. That's a big what if. Yeah, that is a concern. What other what movies took place in Houston? Any NASA movies, maybe? Apollo thirteen. I haven't seen how that one ends. They survive. Thank God. I don't have to watch it. They live to tell the tale. Nice. I think Tom Hanks made him want to go to the globe. Maybe not. I think he no. I don't think he won for thirteen. I think he won back to back. Well, you need to win an Oscar, Golden Globe. Oh, he won back to back for Philadelphia and Forest, though. Deservedly so, both times. Oh yeah. Did Denzel get him an award for Philadelphia also? Denzel won has won twice. He won one for. I think he won his first one for. Um, oh, not that upside down plane movie. No, I think it's no flight though is incredible. I think he won his first one for. Um, did he win it for Armistad? Amistad? No. He won it for... Uh, it's with... He's in it. Matthew McConaughey's in it. Samuel L. is in it. I just don't remember what the movie's called. It's a very good war movie, though. I don't know. I'm Googling it right now. You're the movie guy. And then he won Best Actor in uh, twenty or 2001. He won for Training Day. Denzel's a good guy. I... What are the Bovada odds on Denzel getting another Oscar before things are all said and done? Uh, he might win one this year for the tragedy of Macbeth. He's right up there for the Best Actor. So, like, on well, hold on. Let me look one thing at a time here. There might, I mean, Bavada might actually have these odds. Glory was the movie I was talking about. And then um, Best Actor 
Oscar odds. Okay. Variety. Oh, all right. Well, he's not going to win it this year because uh, Will Smith is so, so due to win an Oscar, and he was very You really think? I don't. I don't. Well, you don't think he's due? I. Variety has him fourth in the power rankings. Denzel. Why? Well, I, I don't. That I wouldn't give it to Will Smith. I watched King Richard. I didn't think you. And I don't even think Will Smith's do. Some of Will Smith's movies are just bad. It could be Garfield. It's been a big year for Garfield. He was in Tammy Faye, Spider Man. He made his return. Give me, Spoiler. give me, give me Cumberbatch in the upset because I'm a big Holmes guy. How about number seven on the list? Love Cage. I don't. I don't think Cage is gonna ever get one. Cage is one one. He won Best Actor for uh, National Treasure. Leaving Las Vegas. I would have given him one for National Treasure. Before. Cage actually been nominated for two. Good for Cage. Yeah, Cage is crushing it. All right, back to baseball. The first labor discussion between the Players Association and the owners and Major League Baseball took place last Thursday. And uh, let me tell you, dude, I'm not too optimistic that spring training is going to start on time. Uh, it was Why the, would you be? It was the first proposal since lot, the players were locked out on December 2nd, and it focused on a narrow set of issues that did little to encourage the players and, again, heightened the likelihood of spring training being postponed. Sources familiar with the situation told the ESPN – during the side's first meeting that discussed core economic issues in 43 days, the league proposed changes to the arbitration system with two players with two-plus years of service, tweaked its proposed draft lottery, and offered the ability for teams to earn draft picks if top prospects find early success in the major leagues, according to sources. MLB hoped the proposal would spur discussion with the union after the side's failed negotiations leading up to the lockout led to six weeks of inactions. Uh, topics that were not discussed Thursday that have been in the players' ass included changes to the competitive balance tax and raising the minimum salary. The timing of the union's rejoinder could be paramount to salvaging the mid-February reporting date for pitchers and catchers. But again, multiple forces, sources fear that uh, negotiations will pick up closer to the end of the month when the threat of losing regular season games becomes more realistic. The MLB offered a significant revamping of its system and compensating players between two and three years of Major League service time, offering an increase in money going to those players through a formula that would determine their pay. Currently, the salaries of two-plus player, two year players um, – are based on the top 22% of the players in that class who have the most service time being designated as Super 2s. They receive an extra year of arbitration eligibility during which they are allowed to negotiate their salaries. The other 78%, uh, their salaries can be renewed by teams just above the minimum regardless of their performance. While their proposal would eliminate Super 2s in the future, sources said players who have at least one day of service would be available to choose between the current system that includes Super 2s uh, and the performance-based proposal. What do you think of that? First I'm and foremost? always... In favor of performance-based proposals. You should get what you pay for. I think It's like Paramore said, that's what you get when you let your heart win. You should get what you pay for. I think you should be able to earn what you should be able to earn what you can earn. If you're outperforming your con Chase. I does your boss listen? Just in case the answer is yes. But yes, we did have a conversation about <laughs> Well, it's like look, if you're at it, this isn't a look, the professional sports contracts are under a microscope because they're worth so much money to what people refer to as a game. But in your everyday job, if you're outperforming your current contract, it is within your right to ask for an increase in salary. 100%. The main reason, by the way, that players are fearful of this was because um, if they if scale is implemented for two-plus players, uh, that might at some point open the door for them to do the same for other arbitration-eligible players. And arbitration salaries are at the moment determined by a president-based system where players compare their statistics to past and negotiate their salaries, which honestly should be what it is in general. It's like you just said. 
That may, I mean, yeah, that that makes sense to me. So here's an interesting proposal that the MLB had: um, that a team is awarded a draft pick if a team places a top hundred prospect on its opening day roster. Then the player wins Rookie of the Year or finishes in the top three of the MVP or Cy Young voting within its first three seasons. The offer included the possibility of a pick in the international draft. Sources said, indicating that the league is continuing for its, uh, uh, to push for a change in the signing of non-domestic amateurs. A team source said could reap only one pick per player, meaning if you won Rookie of the Year and then MVP, the second award would not lead to another pick. In this case, the player's skepticism was because the idea uh, is similar to when the league proposed using the wins above replacement metric from fan graphs to replace the arbitration system, incentivizing teams to uh, break camp with the 26 best players is a goal of the players, but doing, throws through the, doing th- so through the opinions of outsiders, in this case baseball writers who vote on the awards, uh, did not appeal for them. All that said, I kind of dig this idea. This is a concrete incentive to try to get players on the major league roster, but I think it needs to be like a first round pick. Then I think it's hard to have any sort of like any sort of salary determined by sports writers. Like these sports, no, writers, you can't. Like you, the voting thing, you don't. I don't. I don't love that. You see it in the NBA with the max contracts, and it's tough. You want your performance to be recognized. There should be. Well, I think they could be simple. You just make it eighty-one games counts as a season. Right? Like, the whole service time thing is so confusing. Uh, it's like either really, you either make the teams have to pick with service time. It's like you either get this guy on your roster for the season or he's not. Like this, what is what? It's like what is it? Some weird number now, right? I don't even know what the exact number is, but it's very, like, very specific and arbitrary. Like Chris, Chris Bryant got called up in April, and it fucked him out of a season. He got called up the day after. We've seen it happen time and time again. Fuck the Cubs out of the division, to be honest. Because that year in 2015, they were the wild card team. <laughs> I mean, again, they won the wild card game because Jake Arrieta absolutely shoved. But oh, he pitched against. They Garrett just Cole, needed, I think, yet. to win one or two more games. And if Chris Bryant's up the first two weeks of the season, yeah, they probably win two more games. Yeah. So that was. I mean, that didn't make sense to me. Last proposal and the third leg of the league's proposal included a tweak to its draft ladder lottery, which he had previously proposed with three teams, to which the union countered asking for eight. MLB, in this case, stuck with three teams, but proposed a team to be ineligible for the lottery in three consecutive seasons, according to sources. I like that. I agree is also. I think that de-incentivizes de- de- tanking. Uh, and MLB also continued to push for a 14-team playoff as opposed to a 12-team version the union proposed and offered a universal DH. I had my, my friend Jay, friend of the show Jay Schaefer, texted me. Saying yuck to the universal DH. I this is gonna just come down to if you're an American League or a National League fan, but to me, pitchers get paid to pitch. We as American League fans have seen what pitchers try to hit, uh, and they get hurt, and it sucks because they're not professional hitters. So I'm all for the universal DH. I plus I mean, you need to bring offense up. You're killing two birds with one stone. Every every bit of reason points to universal DH. But it's kind of funny that these two leagues have fundamentally different rules. It's bonkers. It's so funny. It's 2022. Like we, I, you would have thought this would have been solved a long time ago. Well, it was almost solved off the bat. One team didn't vote for it. It was the Pirates, maybe. Classic move by the Pirates. I think the Pirates kind of said no. I, I think if it's not the Pirates, I'm sorry. And as for the postseason thing, look, I think this is going to end up happening because you're seeing in the NFL, you just make so much money with the extra postseason. It's money. Team. It's going to be. It's going to end up. Being. But at the end of the day, and I know baseball is a little bit more random than football, but. I mean, the 2-7 matchups that we've gotten in the NFL postseason the past two years have been so meh and uncompetitive thus far that if I'm going to see an uncompetitive playoff series in Major League Baseball, I'd rather just not have it. I also think with baseball, 6 is really strange. Because I don't – I think baseball is the one sport where a buy 
a bye couple of days actually hurts your team. Correct. I think these baseball players are such creatures of habit. They need. Well, this would be seven in each league. So there'd just be one. I'd, I'd want to be the two. Give me the two going up against the seven. Let the one so you take a week off. Or it's almost do you let the it just I I feel like no matter how you do it because then one idea to your point would be let the one seed choose what they want to do but they're not going to want to pay, play extra games and it just seems like this could be a logistical nightmare. They're figure this one out. I I mean it's definitely it's expanding. There will be playoff expansion unless if you do seven teams, you do three division winners and then no, like a math. and then like a round robin of the four. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking out loud. I know the math doesn't work. You do three division winners. And then, and then it's what four wild four at large teams. Well, then you end up in a problem with you. You also can't penalize the division winner. Correct. Their, baseball has a, such an incentive. Look at this year's Dodgers. This year's Dodgers won one hundred six games. Yep, didn't win the division. Ended didn't win the division. Winner go home game. And then they ran out of gas towards the end. Their rotation was all whack because they didn't win their division. You need to keep the incentive there to win your division. So we will see how these proposals keep shaking out, but. Uh, if I had to guess, the Bavada odds of the season starting on time are getting lesser and lesser by the day. I would even say slim and none. But They're not going up. You know, I try to be an optimist. Uh, the international signing day did happen, though, this past weekend. Uh, the Yankees landed the top prospect on the international market uh, for the second year in a row. They did it last year or two years ago with Jason Dominguez. I mean, everybody wants to sign with the Yankees. The Yankees Roderick Arias was the number one international prospect in the class. Uh, the Yankees had a base signing pool of 5.179 Million dollars. It sounds like we gave Arias right around four and a half million dollars. Seventeen uh, year old shortstop, though defensively as plus arm potential, throws are accurate and effortless, and he's always in a position to make the throws. This is the scouting report. Their words, not mine. Has good footwork with soft hands and above average range, and at the plate he exhibits above average bat to ball skills with strike zone awareness. Good power from both sides of the plate. Uh, he ran a sixty yard dash in six point five seconds, and has good opposite field power from the left side. That's good. Before I get into some of the other news from this, so the Yankees, it seems like their strategy, (coughs) the number one prospect next year, it seems like they've already kind of unofficially locked up. Their strategy is, and again, with the international signing money or international free agents in general, you get a pool, you could spend X amount, and that's based on how much you go over in the amateur draft uh, and as well as what free agents you sign, and that's all the money you have to sign them. So their strategy, it seems like, is to go quality over quantity, sign the top guy every year and just have studs in the system do you think this is smart to sacrifice depth for the upper echelon guys? For the Yankees it is. But you and I have both seen, as Yankee fans, how many top prospects, both domestically and internationally, can't miss guys, and they suck for the Yanks. I think it's for the Yanks. I, the Yankees, this makes sense because you have to assume that you are the New York Yankees and can sign free agents in the long run. And if, you have, and if one of these guys hits and reaches their potential... Then you become more attractive. I, and I do wonder if this predicates trade when baseball is back and the lockout is lifted. Because this is another shortstop. And our two top prospects right now, position players, are Anthony Fallopi, who's a top 10 prospect in baseball, period. Oswald Peraza is top 50 or so. Uh, I do think that this is a precursor to maybe one of them being moved in a trade. The Yankees need to do a lot of work. But see, you just accumulate talent. Because people always take shots. If you have that number one prospect label on you, you are always an attractive trade piece. In other news, the Nationals added the number two prospect, uh, Christian Vaquero, 17-year-old outfielder. Wait, 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 let me think about this Yankees thing again. Keep thinking. 6'3", 190. They also signed uh, Elian Soto, Juan's little brother, and the Twins signed Brian Acuna, Ronald's little brother. Love that. I don't think the Yankees' top prospects, it's not like they the Yankees don't develop them well. 
I feel like a Yankee top prospect just sucks. It's not like they go on to other places and have great success. Yeah, like, I think it's the New York hype trend. Jesus Montero. Jesus Montero. I mean, we're even seeing it now, though. I mean, who knows what he does with the Cubs, but how much hype did Clint have? Clint sucked. Clint wasn't ours, though. He was Cleveland's. But he, like, I think became, like, Clint Frazier can't miss prospect more with us. You were probably paying closer attention to him. Right? Also true. Yeah, he was a top prospect when we got him. And just Justice Sheffield, another guy. I mean, he's been decent in Seattle. No, uh, yeah. The Yankees are the Yankees are fundamentally flawed because they try and do this, throw money at all their problems, and then they stop throwing money at their problems, and they're not really solving the problems at all. So one guy who came up through the Yankees ranks uh, is Glaber Torres. We got him from the Cubs. We developed him, and Glaber Torres in 2019 at Camden Yards was the best hitter that I've ever seen in my life. He was the best hitter. Bar none. This year, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton hit balls in Camden Yards that I still don't think have land, landed. Uh, and as a result of that, according to Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Suns, uh, Baltimore Sun, construction has begun on the left field area at Orioles Park at Camden Yards. Who knew that was the new name? That's always been his name. It's just not Camden Yards? It's always been Orioles Park at Camden Yards. Camden Yards fence. I'm pulling up a, a picture so that you can have a... Uh, a visual aid as I'm going through this. Good podcasting. So the left field wall in coordination with the Maryland Stadium Authority is in the process of being pushed back 26 and a half feet into the seating area and raised from 7 feet 4 inches to an even 13 feet. This That's will be, huge. This will be completed by opening day 2022. Uh, the distance to the left field foul pole will remain unchanged at 333 feet, but the distance to true left field will now be 384 feet. Left center will now be 400 feet. Uh, the distance to the visiting bullpen will remain unchanged at 380 feet. Uh, this is the first notable change to Camden Yards dimensions in 20 seasons, uh, even though even though those changes and even those changes were rolled back a year. Uh, Camden Yards is the first open in 1992 as the most home runs, 5,900 of any ballpark in the majors. Sick. <coughs> um, and again, the Orioles pitching staff has genuine, generally struggled over the past decade or so. So they said, while Camden Yards will remain a hitter's park, the hope is that the changes will prevent it from being an outlier in terms of home runs. Uh, the Orioles pitchers have allowed the most home runs in baseball each of the last 362-game seasons, which included a 2019 campaign that saw Baltimore pitchers set a new record with 305 home runs allowed in a single season. Uh, and the five, and again, this was during the live ball in 2019. Um, but the Orioles comfortably led the pack. Uh, for context, Coors Field and the Rockies, they were second that year with 270 home runs. So, I mean, here's the rendering. And again, you can't see that, but you can see that's a substantial gap that they're yeah, creating. I, have you ever been to a game at Camden Yards? I went opening day 2009, CC Texas first game with the Yankees, and we got fucking shellacked. Cody Ransom was starting at third base. Xavier Nady got hurt that day, which opened the door for... Was it well? Was it's not Melky Cabrera? Nick Swisher. It was Swisher. I thought Swisher was on the team already. He was, but he was not starting. We had the X Man. The X Man was good. The X-Man I like the X Man. Um, Camden Yards is cool. Such a beautiful ballpark. I mean, Baltimore. There's not a Baltimore solid for a weekend. It's the perfect amount of time. You don't want to overdo your stay in Baltimore. X Man had a solid. Eh, X Man didn't have that solid career as I thought. But yeah, I mean, look, this is interesting because. For, as Yankee fans especially, I mean, the Yankees go and mash the shit out of the ball in Baltimore. But when, the, yeah, but when I think of the Yankees at Camden Yards, all those home runs I'm picturing are over the right field wall. And I picture one that probably didn't go over the wall there. Which one is that? Jeffrey Mayer. That was a Yankee Stadium. That wasn't a... No, yeah, that was a Yankee that Stadium. That was a Yankee Stadium. 
Well, it was against the Orioles nonetheless. Yeah, Orioles had a tough go. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at Camden Yards, but you would think home runs will be down. Uh, some sports media news. We talked a little bit about some baseball media last week. Uh, Apple is negotiating for TV rights for Major League Baseball games next season. This is according to the New York Post. And if a deal is finalized, it will represent a significant milestone in sports broadcasting since Apple has long been looked upon as a potential stop for major sports TV rights. I'm not even going to go into the news too much other than to say this. This, to me, you're playing a really dangerous game if you're Major League Baseball because so few people watch your games as is. I think Apple TV is the least accessible of all the platforms. 100%. Like, I have Apple Plus and can't even watch Ted Lasso because now you need Apple Plus Plus. I've been crushing it lately. I just think this is a really dangerous game to play because you need as many eyes on your product as possible. And if you're... Like, it's one thing like when the NFL does Amazon because everyone has Amazon, realistically. I don't know how many people I know have Apple Plus, and candidly speaking, I probably wouldn't subscribe to Apple Plus just to watch my team. No. I do not think this is a good move. I think if you're going to go with a third-party sh- or a streaming company for your media rights, it has to be something that's widely had by a lot of people, like an Amazon, or even like if Netflix wanted to get into the game. And I heard Hulu has live sports. <sighs> Joel Embiid told me, Lillard told me, Hulu to- Baker told me. Yeah, you've seen a lot less Baker commercials. But more people have Hulu, I think, than Apple Plus. Yeah, because Hulu, you can bundle it with stuff. Apple Plus is its own entity. The this the, the Disney bundle deal, I think it's like 13 bucks a month, and you get Hulu, Disney Plus, and... ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus. That's a fantastic deal. It's a great deal. I said to my mom, she's like, why don't we have Hulu? I'm like, well, you pay for Disney Plus. We have ESPN Plus. You should just do the bundle. She said, no. I go, all right, well, I have Hulu at the apartment, so... Sorry. I like Netflix. Do you like to chill or do you just like Netflix? I don't really like Netflix that much. I've been watching House on Amazon Prime. Well, I was watching House with Mac the other day. Great show. I'm almost done with it. That House, he is a diagnostic guru. He'd be great at the company. Should hire House. We don't really diagnose You ever anything? heard Hugh Laurie who played House talk in real life? Yeah. Does not sound like House. It's crazy how British he is. He it just adds another layer to how talented of an actor he was when he played this role. Did he win Emmys for House? Never won an Emmy. Mac mm-hmm. and I actually looked into this. Who was be- was he nominated at least? Big award, big uh, big show for the arts, I guess. I mean, we don't really do arts all that often, but yeah, good for House. So, all right, we'll just go right into it. Two thousand. I'm gonna hide it from you a little bit here. Okay. All right. He lost to the first year was nominated with two thousand five. He lost to James Spader in Boston Legal in uh, 2005 and 2007. That's like a relatively iconic character. He lost to Jack Bauer, Kiefer. That's cool. Or no, he wasn't even nominated in 2006. So he lost to him. Um, and then in 2008, he lost to Cranston. I mean, Cranston won the award five times. So he lost to Cranston three, three years in a row. And then he lost to Kyle Chandler, Friday Night Lights. So for what it's worth, he was losing to all yeah. other iconic characters. Actually, did John Hamm never win for Draper? No. I would have gone hate. I would have given a lot of... Oh, oh yes, yep. he did. Okay. Rami Malek sneaks up on you there. Rami I feel like he's winning a lot of awards. Well, this was like in Mr. Robot. This was a full two years before Bohemian Rhapsody. So, not a lot of people knew him. Good for him. All right, I got a couple of Mets updates here. Uh, one is their coaching staff. They ended up hiring a bench coach. I forget who it is. Uh, but they tried to hire Giants pitching coach Andrew Bailey uh, and Padres quality control coach Ryan Flaherty to be their bench coach. And they were blocked in both instances. 
And the only reason I bring this up is because... You never hear of a block. You never hear of a block. It is customary that if a guy is going for a higher-up position on the totem pole, which bench coach obviously is, in Flaherty's case, because he played for Buck and is now coached for a few years, I think Buck would have absolutely groomed to be the next manager of the Mets. Uh, well, that would fuck up our Eric Chavez. I know. It would have been Flaherty or Buck. Uh, or Flaherty or Chavez. But my question is... These teams, when they were interviewed by the Athletics, said, look, it's been such a crazy offseason. We're so close to spring training, allegedly. You know, we don't want to mess up, but we have – you're buying or selling that. Are you on the team side or the player side here? Also, still crazy to me that Andrew Bailey is the pitching coach of the Giants. And apparently moving up the ranks this fast, this quickly. Um, I, I actually kind of get – when was the deny? Was that – It was all in December. Buck wasn't hired until December. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's – I don't like it. You got to let your guys – That's you, you got to look for jobs with upward mobility. That's an important part of work. You need upward mobility. And if teams are blocking you from these opportunities, I wouldn't want to work for the Giants or Padres. I mean – oh, you just mean like conceptually. It's, yeah, that's fucked. I mean, look, I get, if it was December, December, that's a bad excuse. If that was January, I'd allow it. Okay. And the Mets are also breaking from... They broke from tradition this past year, retiring Jerry Kuzman's number. Uh, previously, they were only retiring numbers of people enshrined in the Hall of Fame. So up until Kuzman, it was Seavers, 41, Piazza's, 31, Gil Hodges is 14, Casey Stangles, 37, Jackie Robinson, 42. Uh, and they announced this past Tuesday their plans to retire Keith Hernandez as number seven during a July 9th ceremony at City Field. Uh, candidly speaking, I'm surprised this didn't happen much sooner. I know they had this tradition, but Keith was the captain. Him and Gary Carter were the heart and soul of the captains of that 86 Mets team. Keith has been the voice of the Mets for years and years as a beloved baseball figure. Uh, and you could see he was overcome with emotion on this. So a huge shout-out to Keith for getting his number 17 retired. Uh, and again, I think that means in the near future, you know, this article mentioned that Dwight Good and Daryl Strawberry's numbers get retired. I don't think they will. I think they But you definitely are going to retire Gary Carter's now, I would think. I'm shocked that one's not retired. And you have to, well, especially because he's in the hall. And you're going to have to retire David Wright. This is the precursor to David Wright, yes. So here's a conceptual question I have for you. And I preface this by saying, when you look at some of the guys who've gone in, especially on these veteran ballots, I do think Keith Hernandez should be a Hall of Famer. And it's very similar to me, the same argument we make for Andrew Jones, where Brooks Robinson and Ozzie Smith are in because they're amongst the best. And again, he's not on the same stratosphere as them. But the crux of the Brooks Robinson and Ozzie Smith arguments are the best they're the best defensive players ever at their position. Andrew Jones won 10 gold gloves at 400-plus home runs. We think he should be in. We do. Keith was an 11-time gold glover at first, so you can make a strong case was the best defensive first baseman ever. Won an MVP, won two rings, five-time All-Star, batting champ, 296 average, 384 on base, like really checks off most of the boxes. I think he – was that your conceptual question? No, I'm getting there. Did get busted for Coke, if that's what you were going to say. That was not. My conceptual question, though, is when it comes to Hall of Fame voting, if a team retires your number, do you think voters take that into account at all whatsoever, knowing that you are so important to your team that a player will never wear your number again? This is just – I was thinking of this one. Maybe some, out. but writers are so weird. That I don't think it. I don't think it impacts most of them. What do you? If you had to guess on one of these ballots coming up, Bavada odds based on the case I just laid out that Keith Hernandez is in the Hall of Fame. I think Tony Oliva, like a guy like Keith Hernandez, is helped tremendously by Gil Hodges and Tony Oliva getting inducted. I think Keith should be it. It's I rem, when I think of Keith Hernandez, growing up learning about him, you only hear about the Mets stuff. His Cardinals career was great. You won the MVP with the Cardinals. Won the MVP. I think what hurts Keith is in that era. Like if Keith Hernandez played today. 
you know, 384 on base, 296 average, walked more than he struck out. He would be huge. I think at the time, though, he was a glove first first baseman who hit 300 every year, but his career high for home runs was 18. And he's got the weird shared end. Career high for RBIs is 105. At the time, first baseman was supposed to be your big 40 home or 100 ribby meatheads. That was not Keith. He was just a cokehead. The weird, uh, yes. Oh, wait, what was, he finished second in the MVP one year? In 84. Who won an NL MVP in 84? Should I see if I can think of it offhand? Murphy won that 80. That was the Padres? Randy Jones. Who the hell is Randy Jones? Oh, Sandberg. Who is Randy Jones? Randy Jones, um, I think Randy Jones, do you want to know, look at the Sandberg numbers? Or, I, mean, Sandberg I don't care, I just want to know who Randy Jones is. Randy Jones. Did, in fact, win a Cy Young for the Padres. Good for Randy Jones. Um, Randy Jones won the Cy Young in 1976. He had 40 starts, and he threw 315 innings and had 25 complete games. <laughs> Randy Jones is a beast. Randy Jones had really good career numbers, but I would imagine, I don't know a lot about Randy Jones, but I would imagine he blew his shoulder out, and that's why he was retired at 32. Is it because he's pitching an insane amount of innings all the time? From 74 to 79, he averaged 245 innings. And that's with a... Sh- I mean, it looks like he got hurt one year. Yeah. Randy Jones, this is your time to shine. Uh, just a fun pop culture tidbit. I think you know I really like the show Cobra Kai. So there's a new character on the show this year, Kenny. Uh, and the kid's name is Dallas Young. And it didn't process to me for a single second. There was a... Uh, a page, the Cobra Kai page shared all the cast Instagram pages. So I was going through it. I clicked on this kid and it showed him at the Braves World Series. And I was like, yeah, that's weird. I probably thought he was just like a big baseball fan. Turns out his dad is former All-Star Braves first base coach, Eric Young. Which is even more surprising that Eric Young has a 14-year-old kid. (laughs) Doesn't he also have Eric Young Jr.? Correct. Who's not 14. This is different marriages. He's been, he was 14 once. Yeah, different marriages there. A uh, couple tweets of the week before we get into our Hall of Fame preview with one week to go. Did I do this tweet last week on the show The Americans? No. So the show The Americans is uh, set in the 80s during the Cold War. And Mike X tweeted this. Watching The Americans, and you could tell the show takes place in the 80s because the radio announcer in the background said the guy hitting 249 had a low average. That's still a low average. To the, me, that registers a low Joey average. Joey Gallo hit 249, you and I would jump for fucking joy. Well, Joey Gallus should hit for 249. That's not hard. According to Pete Rose, Ray Charles had more hits than him. Uh, from Jim Passan, not Jeff Passan, Jim Passan, Nolan Ryan struck out more batters after his 40th birthday than Garrett Cole did before his 30th birthday. They don't make them like that anymore. No. I watched the video of Nolan Ryan throwing out the first pitch during one of those Rangers playoff runs. He was 60 years old and threw 85 miles per hour, and the catcher, Jim Sundberg, was so surprised he ripped his pants. You like that. It's got to count for something. Uh, fun fact. I think everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people. Wow, I've got a lot of work emails that I'm going to have to look at in a second. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, I think you and I would agree, consider Aaron Judge to be injury prone. Yes. But in the past five seasons, so since Judge's rookie year, he's played in more games than Mike Trout. I'd say Trout's also injury prone. But I don't think people talk about it enough. People don't talk about Trout enough because he's out in the Somebody had a fantastic comp there. Like, Mike Trout pulled his calf and missed the whole year. Cam Akers pulled his, tore his Achilles and was back five and a half months later. Well, I think Trout was buried by Pujols in, on the Angels for all those years. Buried underneath him. Gasping for air. I had to bring up Pujols. 
Uh, and shout out to Mookie Betts, who bowled another 300 this week. Beast. Stud athlete. All right. Can't so, believe Boston traded him. So this time next week, one way or the other, on the 25th, when we record the podcast, uh, we will know if anyone got elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, currently this year, 160, and again, follow Ryan Thibodeau at not Mr. Tibbs for the tracker. There's been 161 public ballots, uh, plus 10 anonymous ballots. So that is about 43.6% of the ballots known. Uh, and again, that is an estimate. Uh, the average vote per ballot revealed are 7.63. And right now, the only three guys to cross the 75% threshold are Bonds at 77.2, Clemens at 76, uh, David Ortiz at 86, 83.6%. Um, in terms of percent needed on ballots to get in, Bonds needs 73.3, Clemens needs 74.2, Ortiz needs 68.3. Uh, no one else is close. Roland, no one on, well, we'll get to those guys in a second. Of those three, I guess we'll start with, I think Bonds and Clemens know. I do think David Ortiz, when all said and done, is going to be a first battle Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think so, too. Somebody laid out, Jason Stark laid out a fascinating point today that I never really thought about. You could talk about how David Ortiz may or may not have failed that 2003 test, whatever. He did. But David Ortiz, big poppy, was from 04 to 16. And that was where drug testing in Major League Baseball was at his absolute strictest. And that was his career peak. And he never failed the test. I, Ortiz is it. Where do you put David Ortiz on the Mount Rushmore of Red Sox? He's number two. I, I have him number three. He's right behind Ted Williams. I have I have He's yeah, right I have behind. Yaz behind. I got Ted Williams, little gap, Yaz, littler gap, David Ortiz. I have Ted Williams, gap, David Ortiz. I mean, how many rings? Did, look, I get it. Williams didn't win either. But Yaz didn't win. Ortiz won three. I, dude, you don't have to make the Ortiz argument here. I have to. You just put him ahead of yes. Looking at the rest I'm of behind the, yes. Looking at the rest of the ballot, I mean, some pretty Andrew Jones at forty eight point five percent. I have a serious question for these fucking writers. How do five people? How does the same amount of people vote for Tim Hudson and Tim Lincecum? Tim Lincecum was had a stretch when he was the best pitcher in baseball. Well, it's something like Hudson Lincecum. Joe Nathan, how is Hudson and sticking around in a second bat? And Tex, it looks like, are all slipping off. Uh, big jumps. I mean, I'm just. I, it just makes me really like happy. Another one. Why is Ryan Howard only getting three votes? How is Tim Hudson getting five votes and Ryan Howard getting three votes? It makes me happy. I mean, the rolling jump is one thing, uh, but it makes me happy to see Sheffield making a decent jump. Sheffield took Royce. I'm happy Helton and Andrew Jones are making Helton and Andrew Jones. Oh, my God. And I don't even have the W covered. And Billy Wagner making a nice job. <laughs> And, again, I don't think Omar Vizquel was a Hall of Famer based on his numbers. But now he's a sure But now guy. he's, I mean, I've got, he is going to set a record for most of us long. I think Ortiz gets in. I think Bonds comes in second. Clemens comes in third. Schilling comes in fourth. Um, and then from there, I think it'll shake out where it's going to be Scott Rowland. Rowland's going to be I think close. it's going to be Rowland, Helton, Andrew, Wagner, the rest. You, uh, yeah. And then I think A Rod. I think A Rod will see a jump next year, but unless there's a crazy yeah, we, new wave, you of need writers. some PED clearouts. Yeah. All right, that's all I got for this week's show. Any concluding thoughts for this week? I thought podcast? you had one fun list for us. I don't have a fun list. You want me to pull one up right now from the fun list note that I have? Yeah, I want you to pull up a fun list. All right, let's do uh, some of these. I'm still deliberately saving for the Hall of Fame next year. Let's do the birth years with the most career wins above replacement. Oh, I saw that one. Uh, this is from Sarah Langs. Um, 1983 is surprisingly one. So these are guys that we all saw. 
Granky, Verlander, Miggy, Vado, and Cole Hamels. It's a strong five. That's four Hall of Famers and a borderline guy. I also Are you putting Votto in? Yeah, Votto's in in my mind. When all is said and done, Votto's going to be in. I'll have to see it at the it's end. It's going to be like, he's going to be Edgar Martinez. Miggy Cabrera, man, what a career. I was taking a dump earlier and looking at the numbers. That's I hope good... when Miggy retires, we get the full scope once he gets to 3,000 hits this year. of Just like, holy shit, could this guy hit. You feel for Miggy because it's ended so poor. Kind of like Pujol. I mean, the easy compass Pujols, where it's just these guys, they, they, they aren't good. They're not good anymore. I guess I didn't need to force that Pujols one earlier. It's tough when someone like Miggy... Like, I think Miggy... If Miggy announces and gets a retirement tour, it would be an all-time. He deserves it in every stadium. Yeah. So, amazingly enough, 1964, which is number two at 1,283.5 or, is probably only going to have one Hall of Famer. Uh, because Bonds PEDs, Palmero PEDs, Barry Larkin Hall of Famer. Brett Saberhagen, who I had the chance to interview, great guy. Uh, Will the Thrill Clark. Brett Saberhagen, I just want to point this out to you because it's super interesting. Clark and Palmero do not like each other. No, that's a great documentary, though. Look at Saberhagen's... Uh, what years did he win the side? Okay. Look at his odd versus even years. Yeah, it's nuts. 85, 20, and 6, 2, 8, 7. 86, 7, 12, 4, 15. 87, 18, 10, 3, 6, 6. 3, 6, 3, 3, 6. Next year, 14 and 16, 3, 8. 89... 23 and 6, 2, 16. 90, 5 and 9, 3, 2, 7. 91, 13 and 8, 3, 0, 7. 92, 3, 5 ERA. 93, 3, 3, 9. That is very bizarre. Strange. Very strange. Two times two times Cy Young winner, though. 68, 1,221.3 war. Uh, you got four Hall of Famers. One guy you may get in. Moose, Sheffield will not get in. Moose, Bagwell, Frank Thomas, Robbie Almar, Gary Sheffield. Uh, you also had Sosa, Olerud, Jeff Kett, and Bernie Williams. And I think, is that Piazza? No. Why does it say Piazza? It does say Piazza. I missed it. So five Hall of Famers. That's pretty impressive. 67, you had Smoltz, Kenny Lofton, Robert Ventura, Kevin Apier, and Luis Gonzalez, as well as Trevor Hoffman, Hall of Famer. 1960, Ripken, Gwynn, Kirby, Mark Langston, Frank Viola. That's a good list, Dad. The Ripken, yeah, the Ripken, Gwynn, Kirby. Talk about three franchise icons. It's great for icons. Yeah, you know what? Let's just end on that one in the top five. And we'll give a count. Because that's nice. We get to shout out the Twins, the Padres, the Orioles, teams that we don't really talk about often. All right. Any concluding thought? Yeah, get vaccinated, get flu shots. COVID's not going away. Only way to to, uh, fight it is getting vaccinated. So kudos to the Australian government for sticking to their guns and not allowing Novak Djokovic to play. My concluding thought for this week's show is that I... One more concluding thought. It was MLK Day on Monday... And I usually don't like to celebrate national days, but everyone does it. Actually, take some time and read what Martin Luther King had to say. It's pretty important and always relevant. Uh, Yeah, my message is not going to be nearly that powerful. Uh, UCLA plays this week against Utah. I'm hyped for that. Hopefully the second round of the NFL playoffs is a little bit more exciting than the first. Uh, Other than that, I'm just going to say... Movie recommendation, go see the new Scream movie. I'm not really into horror movies, but this was a great meta sequel, and I laughed as well as being scared. Sometimes at the same time. That's like when you poop and pee at the same time, Chase. On that note, with Bryce Holden, my name's Chase Midorski, and this is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. (laughs) 